Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I once heard a story told uh, by a marksman, a, a bowman, a, a bow and arrow kind of a guy who uh, liked to hunt with a bow and arrow, and he was telling a story about a time hunting, hunting for deer specifically. And as this man was telling this story, he uh, first of all had to assure us that he was very good at what he did. He told the story of hunting and, and talking about um, his skill with archery. He said that he had, in fact, many times had a, achieved what are called Robin Hoods uh, on the shooting range. You know what a Robin Hood is? That's when you uh, shoot one arrow into the target, and then you draw your bow again, and you shoot the arrow, and you actually split that first arrow with your second arrow. He's done that multiple times. He's a very skilled, accomplished uh, archer. Well, he was hunting one day, bow hunting, deer, and he came across this majestic buck with this extraordinary uh, rack of antlers. And he was just fantasizing, envisioning what this rack of antlers would look like on his wall. And as he was thinking and taking aim at this deer, to, to take this deer down, and he thinking about the antlers and looking at the deer, and he fired and thwack. The bow went right into the antler of the buck, and the buck ran off, and he was not able to bag this deer for himself. Now, what he told this story, and even he was using this as something of an illustration, he said, you know, when we get our eyes off of the target, even just astray a little bit, even just something so close, something so similarly, something so just surrounding the main target, when we take our eyes off the target itself, it's so easy to be distracted just a little bit so that we end up missing the target entirely. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is frustrated with his disciples because they are distracted. Their eyes have left the main target. Now, they're not distracted to something totally off. They're asking about bread. We forgot to bring bread. We're hungry. What are we going to eat? These aren't irrational. These aren't immoral things to question. And yet Jesus, trying to teach them about spiritual realities, is concerned. And he rebukes them for their distractions. He says, you are missing the mark, and if you do, you will miss the target entirely. So where does Jesus want his disciples to keep their eyes? What is the target? And as we're going to see in this passage, the target that he wants people to see, he wants his disciples especially to see, is him. Our big idea today is this, don't miss the signs about Jesus. Don't miss the signs about Jesus. Three parts to our sermon today. First of all, no bread, no bread. Second of all, plentiful bread. 
plentiful bread. And then third, bad bread. Bad bread. No bread, plentiful bread, and bad bread. So the first section is in verses 5 through 7. No bread. We read in verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side. The other side. Now, as we have been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, especially in these last few passages, we've been paying careful attention to the geography. Jesus, for most of the Gospel of Matthew up until this point, has been in Galilee, which is Israelite territory. Then he had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and he had gone into Canaanite territory, Gentile territory, where he met a Canaanite woman. Then he came back briefly uh, into uh, Israelite territory, and he was confronted there by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so in the previous passage, these Pharisees and the Sadducees had come to him, confronting him, asking him to demonstrate that he was who he said he was by performing some sign from heaven. And Jesus rebuked them, saying, you are missing the signs of the times. Everything that's happening around you points to who I am. And you've missed all of that if you are still asking for proof or a sign from heaven. Well, now it seems that Jesus got on the boat and went to the other side, and he with his disciples reaches the other side. And as he's going back to the other side, again, importantly, this is back into Gentile territory. The disciples are speaking among themselves, and they realize that they had forgotten to bring any bread. They don't have anything to eat. This is important. This is a big deal. If you and I didn't have anything to eat, we'd be thinking about it. Jesus takes this and turns it into an object lesson. And so he says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? It's important. Notice that he says the leaven. It's a singular thing. It's the one leaven shared by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's particularly interesting is that in the parallel account of this in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus warns about the leaven of Herod. So there's leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's a leaven of Herod. Jesus is kind of talking about all of this as one thing, one threat, one problem. Now, what does this leaven refer to? Well, we know, spoiler alert, I've already read the end of the passage. It's about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, about the message, what was communicated by Herod himself. But if you understand these three different people groups, Herod unto himself and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are wildly different groups. The Pharisees taught sort of a a strict doctrinal formalism, a pharisaical formalism. The Sadducees were the skeptics. They were the radicals. They only believed a part of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. Herod was, again, a king unto himself. He wasn't an Israelite. He was an Edomite, and he was wicked. He lived for himself. And Jesus is looking at all of these things and saying, beware of the single leaven that is offered to you by all of these people. Now, that's so interesting that Jesus would take all of those different views, those different errors, and package them together as one kind of leaven, given all of their differences. I think John Calvin is right when when he points to this fact, and he says, what Jesus is doing is he is reminding us that always, on all sides, we are going to be surrounded by all manner of vanity, errors, wicked inventions, spurious doctrines. We might not use those words. Uh, Those are older words, but the idea that we're going to be surrounded by errors 
on every side all the time. And yet, as confusing as it might be, as many different varieties as we might have surrounding us, Jesus summarizes it all as one kind of a thing. He says, all of that, beware of that leaven. So what's he getting at when he calls all of this a leaven? Well, he gets at what the Apostle Paul warns about in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven is a rising agent. It's like yeast. It's not yeast. It's more like what you would use in sourdough bread. It's a little uh, chunk of dough that you would keep out, and it would be uh, fermenting to some degree, and you would then work it into the next batch of dough, and the fermentation of that leaven would spread throughout that dough, and uh, before you baked that lump of dough, you would pull off another piece and set that aside, and that would be the leaven and the fermented part that you would use in the next batch, and that would then uh, spread the leavening, the rising agent through the next batch of bread. And then again, you pull off a piece and you keep that leaven behind again still. And what this image conveys is the idea that just a little bit infects the whole thing, spreads, corrupts the whole thing. Now, when you're making bread, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can taste good. But the point is of the pervasiveness of this kind of a thing. And Jesus is saying, watch out for the pervasive doctrine of your enemies who are spreading lies all around you all the time. It's an important spiritual warning. An important spiritual warning that goes right over the heads of Jesus' disciples. So in verse 7, the disciples hearing this, they, they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we bought no bread, brought no bread. Jesus has just given them an important spiritual warning, and they say, boy, guys, we really blew it. Let's worry about this bread a little bit more. And the word discussing, um, one commentator points out, is very important in the scope of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 19, this is the word that uh, evil thoughts, thoughts is that word for discussing, that arise within the hearts of people. This is what defiles you. One of those things is evil thoughts, evil discussions in your heart. That can defile you. Then later, this same word will be used for the discussion of the chief priests and elders when Jesus asks whether they believe that the authority of John the Baptist came from heaven or from man. Well, they didn't want to answer that question. If they would have acknowledged that the authority of John the Baptist came from heaven, Jesus would have asked them, then why did you not believe him? And if they would have said of man, then the people would have stoned him for they believed John the Baptist to have been a prophet. And so they didn't want to ask anything. They conspired. They discussed among themselves how they could get out from under this. Now, there's no such evil motive that Jesus is necessarily attributing to his disciples. But the word here raises a dark connotation. These discussions are missing the point. They're at least off track. They're off base. What Jesus is recognizing here, what Matthew is sort of bringing out through the use of this word, is that the attention to the lack of their physical bread is right now accomplishing the effect of blinding them to the spiritual dangers that are surrounding them. Watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm hungry, guys. Where are we going to eat? Maybe you're thinking that right now about lunch. We do have a fellowship meal. You can be settled in your mind. Now you can give your attention to the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. That's a weight off your shoulders, yes? We have to think about this in the context of distractions. We can get so focused in like that, like that archer, that bowman, looking at that rack of antlers and missing the target. Sometimes we can get tunnel vision and miss the broader picture. Here's another illustration of this, an example of this. In 1975, Daniel Simons and Christopher Chabris, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, 
Uh, they conducted an experiment. They asked uh, participants to watch a short video. If you go online, it's very short. You can find it. It's on YouTube. It's a little more than a minute. Uh, but where they are watching a group of people, and these people have basketballs, and there are about six of them. Three of them are wearing, no, I think there's eight of them. Th uh, four of them are wearing white shirts. Four of them are wearing black shirts, T-shirts, and they're all sort of walking around in a circle. And sort of you have people in white shirts facing each other, people in black shirts facing each other, and they're all like bounce passing the basketball or tossing the basketball over. And the question is, can you count how many times the people in the white shirt pass the basketball back and forth? Now, this takes a lot of intention because of all the movement, all the white shirts, black shirts, watching all the basketballs flying hither and thither here and there. And when they get to the end of it, they ask the people, I tried this myself, and they asked how many times did the people in white shirts get the basket? The answer is 15. I counted like 11, 13, which if you know my math skills, it doesn't surprise you. I missed some. But then they ask, but did you see the gorilla? Now, what's interesting is if you rewind the video, right to the middle of the screen, a man in a full gorilla suit walks through the middle of the video. Just a full gorilla suit. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. But 50% of the people didn't see it. They're so focused in on trying to count the baskets going back and forth, that they have a ton of vision where they miss something extraordinary happening in the middle of the video. A guy, a fully grown man in a gorilla suit walks through it, and they don't even see it. This is true of all of life. When we are focused in so sharply to any manner of things, our problems, our sufferings, our basic needs, we can miss the bigger picture. There are, is a time when our bellies are so hungry that we cannot think of anything else. It's partially why Jesus met the physical needs of people, so that they could be freed to pay attention to the spiritual realities that he wanted to point them toward. The disciples should know this. They're worried about physical bread, but Jesus is worried about spiritual leaven. Now, Jesus wants his disciples to recognize this, to understand and so to expose the foolishness of their concern over this physical bread, he reminds them of two miracles he has just performed where out of very little he created a plentiful amount of bread. This brings us to our second point, plentiful bread in verses 8 through 10. As the disciples are saying, we brought no bread, we read in verse 8, but Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith. Why were the disciples wrapped up in a lack of bread? Maybe they were hungry, maybe that was a part of it, but Jesus says, the problem is really with your faith. Oh, you of little faith. They are attentive to worldly concerns so that they are blinded by those concerns to the greater spiritual concerns that Jesus wants them to see. And so in verse 9, Jesus asks, do you not yet perceive? Now, what kind of perception is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about mere cleverness. This isn't a question about their IQ. Are you not smart enough to figure this out? It's a question that's directly connected to what he just asked him. Oh, you of little faith, do you not yet perceive? This is a kind of perception that isn't about how quickly your brain can run over topics in, in your head. It is about faith. Do you see these realities by faith? And either you do or you don't. Now, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples are constantly portrayed as people who go from a lack of understanding to understanding, from no perception to perception. Here we are told they do not yet perceive. That's important. That's important because if you want to peek ahead to the very next passage, 
That's where we see Peter's perception into spiritual things. Where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You have perception, but not because of the workings of your brain, the firings of your synapses, but because of faith revealed by God. Well, here in the flow of the story, Jesus is saying, do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet understand? What's happening here is in contrast to what's going to happen in the next section. So what then should their minds be meditating upon to gain the kind of perception that Jesus wants them to have? Jesus points them back to the signs that he performed in the preceding chapters. In verse 9, the second half of verse 9, Jesus goes on to say, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Now, now notice what Jesus reminds them of explicitly and what he asks them about. He says, do you not remember? And he tells them how many loaves they started with. And he tells them then how many people. He reminds them directly, explicitly of those numbers. Five loaves, 5,000. Four loaves, 4,000. But then in both cases, he asks them, do you not remember how many baskets you received? These are the baskets of leftovers that were collected after the feast. Now, partially what Jesus is doing to remind them of here is he's reminding them of the plentiful bread that he created. You're worried. You're so worried about your... Have you forgotten already that I provided abundantly for thousands? Don't you think I can handle you who are here in the boat with me? That's partly what he's reminding them of. But as we talked about when we looked at those feedings, Christians have been seeing these as symbols, been reading these as symbols of the 12 baskets as a symbol when Jesus was in Israelite territory of a picture that, that Jesus is filling and feeding to the fullness the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the promises and the prophecies is that the Messiah would set a table for his people and give them a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. And the 12 baskets of leftovers signify, symbolize that Jesus can feed the fullness of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then when Jesus goes over into Gentile territory, that's why this back and forth is so important, he fed 4,000 in, or, or, yeah, 4, in Gentile territories where there were seven baskets left over. Now, seven, might, seven is a number of completion, like the days of the week. But there is also, uh, in Deuteronomy, a reference to that Israel was going to go into the land of Canaan to drive out seven nations more numerous than yourselves. Remember, the first thing that Jesus did in the Gospel of Matthew in arriving in Gentile territory was to heal a Canaanite woman. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is invading Gentile Canaanite territory. But do you know what he's doing? He's not killing and slaughtering and driving out of the land. He is blessing. He is saving. He is healing. He is welcoming. And so when there were seven baskets of leftovers in the Gentile region, what Jesus was reminding his disciples, do you not remember these things, is that he had just demonstrated to them through these signs that he is the Messiah who has come to save both Jews and Gentiles into one church. Now, that word for church is important. 
Because the very first time the word church is going to appear is in the next section. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is asking his disciples, do you not understand who I am? Do you not understand what I am here to do in your midst? And Jesus, therefore, wants to remind them of these things. Now, what does this idea of remember mean? We think a lot about remembering and forgetting in our culture. If you were to uh, take my phone and to look through all the apps that I have on my phone, you would find a number of apps that I have installed to help me remember things. I have one app, one of the very few apps that I've ever like, paid for for the app itself, is for flashcards, just for quizzing things to remember them so that I don't forget them. I paid money for that. There is another app that has my to-do list. If you tell me to do something or ask me to pray for you in some way, I'm going to probably put it in my to-do list so that I don't forget that thing. I have a calendar so that I do not forget appointments that I may have with you. I have an app called Evernote, which is a, uh, the emblem there is an elephant, the idea of a long memory. It's for things that I want to remember into the future. I even have an app on my phone that even though it isn't about remembering things, it's a communication, texting app, well, I have to periodically, I'm prompted to enter into my passcode so that I don't forget things. We're always thinking about remembering and forgetting, but normally when we think about memory or forgetfulness, we're thinking about the concern that we might forget certain facts. Now, that might be part of what Jesus is worried about here, but when the Bible calls us to remember certain things, remember the story of God's redemption, and we're told this everywhere, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember to keep the Passover as a memorial. Or when Jesus at the table says, do this in remembrance of me, the concern is not so much that we're going to forget facts, although that could happen, that's possible. The idea of remembering is focused more on the concern that we may lose sight that we may lose focus, that our eyes may drift from the target up to something that is external, maybe on the periphery or maybe entirely outside of it. Does Jesus care about your bodily needs? Yes. Is that the center of why he came into this world to save us? It's connected, but it's at the periphery. Jesus, as a creator, wants to feed you, wants to heal you. But as Redeemer, he wants to do something far more extraordinary. He recognizes that the problem is not just that you don't have enough food to eat. The problem is rather that you are alienated from a holy God as a guilty sinner in his sight. And when we lose sight on our greatest need, our alienation from God because of our sin, we lose our focus on what's most important. We shift our eyes from the target to something around it, those antlers on the buck. Jesus is the great Messiah. He has come to save the fullness of Jews and Gentiles alike into one church. And the point of what Jesus is saying is that the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees corrupts this. It blocks this. It opposes this. And if this leaven is left unchecked, Jesus warns them. This leaven is going to produce bad bread. That's our third point. Bad bread in verses 11 through 12. In verse 11, Jesus continues his rebuke of his disciples. He says, how is it 
that you fail to understand. Earlier, they did not yet perceive, but now Jesus says, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? It's not about the bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples have been anxious about their lives, what they will eat, what they will drink. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about this. You don't need to worry about your needs. I can super abundantly provide for all your needs, Jesus says. But what you do need to worry is about this leaven that will prevent you. Take your eyes off of the target of what I, the Messiah, came to do in this world. And then in verse 12, notice, then they understood. Again, the disciples are moving from not understanding to understanding. And this is happening. This isn't a one-time thing. It's happening throughout the Gospel of Matthew. They did not understand. Not yet did they perceive. And now they understood. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who taught different doctrines. Now again, what is this about? Well, remember the previous passage. In the previous passage, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus asking for a sign from heaven. And Jesus says, you don't need a sign from heaven. You are missing the signs of the times. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are healed, the lame walk, the dead are raised. The Messiah is here. And you've missed it. Don't miss the signs that point to Jesus. For different reasons, both Pharisees and Sadducees overlooked the signs that led them to reject Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus is rebuking them, saying, you don't understand the significance of the feeding signs. You're still worried about bodily needs. And that's leaving you to miss who I am and what I've come to do. J. Carson, in his commentary, and reflecting on the significance of this last verse, says, what's so important about this is what comes next. Again, this is pointing to the understanding that is coming next. What they have been blinded to, what they do not yet perceive, is what will be revealed to them through the confession of Peter, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and upon the rock of that confession, Jesus will build His church. It's so interesting in these two passages, the sharp contrast between the dangerous, insidious, pervasive leaven, beware, versus the rock. The rock-solid confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is saying, if you do not keep your eyes on the rock, you will be corrupted and led astray by the leaven that surrounds you everywhere on all sides of you all the time. The application then of this is very simple. Beware what distracts you from Christ. Beware what distracts you from Christ. Don't miss the signs about Jesus that are recorded for us in the Scriptures. The Pharisees clung to man-made religious traditions, not what had been given in Scripture, but what was taught by men as precepts, as doctrines apart from Scripture. The Sadducees were these skeptics where they were seeking freedom from traditional restraints, including the rest of the Bible beyond the first five books of the Bible. And what Jesus is warning us is if either or both of these doctrines are taking your eyes away from Christ 
as he has revealed to you in Scripture, that these things are a distraction in your life. Whether you are seeking the comfort of a man-made religious tradition, I just feel more comfortable in this. Or whether you are seeking to throw off the yoke of religion and tradition altogether, I just don't want to be burdened. I don't want to be bothered by those things. And in both cases, you were distracted from Christ. Beware. Be warned about this leaven that is infecting and distracting you from Christ. But through this, Jesus is also warning us, again, that we shouldn't worry about the food that we need. Those things are important to be sure, but Jesus has already talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food, and the body more than clothing? When Jesus goes on to there to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why are you discussing in your heart those evil discussions, those thoughts in your heart that you don't have what you need, that you have no bread? Why do you spend so much time worried about your physical needs? It's not that we shouldn't work. Jesus is saying we shouldn't worry. The true danger in all of this that Jesus is calling our attention back to in this passage is that we would be distracted from Christ. Understand our, our chief concern, our central concern is that we are guilty, defiled sinners in need of the grace of forgiveness and the cleansing of our pollutions. We are both guilty and shame-ridden, and God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that Jesus Christ suffered humbled himself in obedience all the way to the, point, to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that Jesus Christ could die in your place, suffering for your sins, so that on the third day he could rise from the dead in victory over sin, death, and the devil, that he might by grace and through faith credit you with Christ's righteousness to cleanse you from your uncleanness and to sanctify you as holy to the Lord. Why? It was Ephesians 2 verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What Jesus abundantly provides now, he will superabundantly, immeasurably provide into the future. Well, if Christ is the target, what's distracting your eyes from him this morning? Is it your bodily, physical, material needs? Is it your fears? your desires, your dreams, your sufferings, your concerns? Is it a religious tradition that overshadows, crowds out, and distracts you from Jesus Christ, that veils Christ? Is it a radical desire for the kind of freedom that can throw off constraints and be free from the shackles of God's Word? We hear the warning of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. John closes his first letter this way. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. That's what's at issue here. The disciples didn't have understanding, and Jesus is giving them understanding. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, Keep yourselves 
from idols, from anything that will distract you from Jesus Christ. Wherever you are this morning, whatever is distracting you, and all of us have these weights that are trying to pull us away, distract us, to keep our eyes somewhere else, Jesus is reminding you once again this morning, speaking by His Holy Spirit through the Word inspired, written down by the pen of Matthew, the disciple Matthew the evangelist, this Word of God is speaking to you, calling out, don't get distracted. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. He's the target. Don't miss the signs about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we study your word, you would open our eyes and open our ears, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, to understand all that is contained in the good news of the gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that if there are any here who do not yet know him, that you would set their eyes on Christ, remove the veil, let them see his glory and beauty and loveliness, that they would be drawn irresistibly to him. And for those who are sick and suffering, weak and wounded, we pray, Father, that you would take their eyes off of whatever is dragging them away from Jesus, to put their eyes back on our Savior to trust in him in the fullness of his grace and glory as the only Savior of sinners, the only name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.